Welcome to the Disco Posse Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for the GC on demand, then you found the freshly rebranded Disco Posse Podcast. Go to discopossepodcast.com for details. everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the GC On Demand podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. I'm Disco Posse here in the Green Circle community. And uh, I've got a very interesting and, and fun uh, fun day ahead for us here. You know, when you say to someone, be honest with me about their opinion, it's, it's often met with a, a pause and some kind of a carefully crafted reply. Uh, today, I'm pleased to welcome someone special to the podcast who never has to be asked to be honest because he just is. You know, he's the strong voice for a very important community of technologists, customers, and vendors alike. And more than anything, what I describe as his bombastic and unapologetic delivery makes him you know, a true champion for the technology that he represents, the community he represents, and he's also just a blast to be around. You may know him as Cake is Not a Lie on Twitter. And with that, I'd like to welcome Trevor Pot. Good evening, victim. I mean, hello. <laughs> So, it's nice uh, to be here, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. One of the first things I want to I want to ask Trevor, and you've probably been asked this a dozen times, or or many, many more. What's the origin of the Twitter handle? Uh, well, um, it's actually a, a, a bit of a response to the the, the meme of uh, the cake is a lie, which came from the video game Portal. Uh, one of the characters uh, in the video game scrawls, uh, the cake is a lie, the cake is a lie, the cake is a lie, over, over the walls as you're going through, uh, because the evil computer AI is promising cake if you comply. Um, and, you know, as you go through, uh, keeps promising this cake. The thing is, at the end of the game, there actually is a cake. It's, you know, just laced with things that will kill you. So... <laughs> It's uh, it, it's sort of a, I guess, a poke at this common theory that uh, the cake was a lie and that you were not going to uh, get the cake if you complied with the computer's demands. So uh, you would get the cake. You just wouldn't like it. Nice. Uh, so I guess we should start off mostly by, uh, you know, tell us, a you know, give yourself a quick bio. Where do we find you? Uh, online and 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 how do folks uh, uh, you know find uh, you know content that you're creating and such and then we're gonna get in and talk about a, a couple of neat subjects. Well, probably the easiest place uh, to find anything by me is to go to trevorpot.com uh, and click on the about button, uh, mostly because that has the links to everything. Uh, I write for the Register. I write for Tech Target. 
Uh, I write, write for We Break Tech, uh, and I say vile things all over, all over Twitter. Um, it's about all that there is for me. So what I really wanted to, to talk with you about is uh, there's an interesting spot. You know, I I we we started quickly on the intro you know, before the intro. You know, about this idea of SMB. You know, I come from a background in in representing a lot of you know medium businesses, small enterprise, and you know super small, you know kind of three host, two host shops, and and I. I, I like that you really, really talk a lot about that segment of the market. Plus, as a Canadian, you represent, you know, an interesting, you know, sort of cloud unfriendly group for a variety of regulatory reasons and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, and and I talked about SMB as kind of this underrepresented thing. But I think that you mentioned something about that, that may, that might not be the right way to describe it. So, you know, but why is SMB seemingly, you know, underrepresented? Well, I think that this all boils down to what do people consider small and medium businesses? Um, so one of the things to really bear in mind is that different geographic regions and different cultures have different ideas of what forms a small business, an enterprise, a mid-market company, etc. So in Canada, we actually do have uh, governments... Uh, I, I guess breakdowns for this. And in Canada, you're considered an enterprise if you're over 500 uh, staff members. Now, 500 people would not constitute an enterprise in the U.S. Uh, if you have a thousand people, then we can start talking. But um, you know, the United States is very much about these large enterprises. Now, uh, one of the other things to bear in mind is. It's not just the size of the company, it's how the companies behave. So uh, Canada, Europe, some of Australia, um, these are areas, English-speaking countries, uh, you know, for the most part, or co countries that do business in English at least, um, that have small businesses and they operate largely as small businesses throughout their their nations um, but they are not small businesses in the same way that the United States has small businesses now in the United States virtually everything is capital intensive uh, by this I mean businesses charge their customers a lot and they in turn pay a lot for services for technology for staff etc Money flows through businesses in the United States in huge quantities. Uh, and it doesn't matter how small the business is. In the U.S., they just move a lot of money through the business. Uh, this doesn't happen in, in other areas. I mean, um, it, it does in some chunks of Europe, but not in most of Europe. Uh, it certainly doesn't happen like that in Canada. Uh, and, you know, a, a goodly chunk of Australia and New Zealand, it doesn't happen like that either. Um, what you end up with in a lot of those areas is instead um, organizations that are very closely tied to their economy. So they live and die with how well the local economy is doing. Uh, so, so they're very um, affected by boom and bust issues. If the economy is doing very well, 
there's a reasonable amount of money that will end up going through those small businesses. Uh, and then they can do things like invest in, in computers, invest in equipment, machines uh, to assist their manufacturing and whatnot. But when the bust hits, all the money dries up and they generally have trouble keeping their heads above water and paying their staff. Um, so this is why things like cloud services, subscriptions, etc., do so much better in the U.S. than elsewhere. It's because in the U.S. there's this constant flow of lots of money through the small, through even small businesses, that they can afford to essentially pay a subscription fee to stay in business. And I think one of the one of the things you you really point out to a lot of folks, you know, is that that idea of you know, why not go cloud only? If you're if you're a startup or a small business and if you're running your own servers, and I always treat those very differently. Like a startup happens to be a small business, but a small business is not always a startup. A startup is meant to be a disruptor. It's meant to be something that's, you know, but small businesses are continuously operating businesses. They could be accountants, real estate offices, tons of other things, right? Like that's People often get that mixed up when they talk about a 15-person company could be, you know, could be a 15-person. Could be 200 years old. That's right, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with with being that size because that's that's your business. It's your choice to maintain that size, and and they can do very well at a 15-person. Well, one other thing that I'd I'd like to bring your attention to as a thought about small businesses. Um, so, uh, food trucks. Might, might, might seem a little bit out there, I mean, especially as we're talking about technology, but actually food trucks are a great example of a small business. Now, uh, a food truck could be one or two guys that own a single truck. It could be an entire fleet of food trucks or food carts uh, all working together uh, as part of a single company. But what we have is something that a lot of people wouldn't think about. Hey, what, what is the IT impact of running a food truck? But, you know, at the bare minimum, the guy probably has a smartphone uh, with one of those square card readers, and somewhere he's going to have to be able to do his accounting, going to have to be able to do his taxes, I mean, and on and on and on. So he's probably invested in some software as a service applications uh, for the financial side. Uh, he's probably got some uh, subscriptions somewhere in order to uh, handle his credit card transactions, his debit card transactions, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, if you start getting into some of the larger setups where you have 15, 20, 1,500 food trucks all under the same uh, company, then their IT investments can actually be pretty big. Uh, they, they could end up tracking individual food trucks, pulling in statistics, doing big data analytics on, you know, where is the best place to position these, uh, I mean, it's actually kind of crazy how much IT small businesses, even the ones you would never expect, how much IT they actually have. I'm forever going to use food truck IT as a new way to describe that that kind of service model. I love it. Um, one of the things to that you know we were discussing just before this podcast started was. Um, the representation or not of small businesses, and and you know just to to get back to that for a second, um, I think this really does depend on how you define the small business. Um, there is a mid market as well uh, that I think is actually the bit that is truly underrepresented, and the small business 
uh, and the mid-market is something that I really separate. Um, and I separate this mostly by IT behavior. Uh, small businesses are not particularly automated, at least not yet. Um, they're not capable of spending an awful lot on capital expenditures. They're generally not particularly capable of spending too, too much on SaaS. So they, they rely on lesser IT. It's not particularly good. It's not particularly tested. It's not as redundant or as resilient. Uh, and so as such, it's actually less efficient. They end up ha having to make um, more backups uh, more often, and those backups aren't as up-to-date, and they aren't as continuous, and all the rest of that. Um, and, you know, if a desktop fails, then a small business won't just push a button and deploy it all out from the Pixie server. Uh, they're going to probably be rebuilding that thing by hand. Um, now, when you get into the mid-market, which in my experience is around 250 users, uh, that changes. And mid-market companies are obsessed with appliances. They have the same number of IT staff as small businesses, uh, but those IT staff just do not have the time to run around with their hair on fire all the time. So they buy appliances for everything, and they're obsessed with appliances. And I think you start moving into the enterprise when you start leaving the appliances behind and you start building more uh, bespoke solutions again. But in this case, you're now building bespoke solutions for 1,000 users or 10,000 users or, or what have you. And that's where um, the real money comes in because those solutions have to be 24-7 up. They have to you know, respond to any issue. If there is an outage, um, you have to be able to recover from it right away. With a small business, if the IT goes out, you're not totally screwed if your IT is down for a day or two. If your IT is down for a day or two in an enterprise, you could be losing millions. Yeah, you're going to um, end up in the paper. <laughs> or, or well, you yeah. the paper, and you're going to end up on the register, right? <laughs> uh, well, exactly. And now with a mid-market mid company, uh, your IT might or might not get you into that kind of trouble if it's down for a couple of days. but you can't afford to solve the solution by throwing manpower at it, so you solve the solution by throwing appliances at it. And I think these are really three distinct groups, and it's typically the mid-market that's the underrepresented one. There's all sorts of crappy IT available for small businesses. Um, and it, with small businesses, they're generally okay with being 10 years out of date. That's the thing a lot of people don't get, is the IT that was that enterprises were using ten years ago was just fine for small businesses today. Yeah, it's kind of like the you know there's all these cars that come back that are four years old off lease, and guess what? They don't go to the junkyard, right? They go to a massive pool of customers who are ready to buy an eighty thousand kilometer mm -hmm. car, and they plan to drive that thing until it's. 160 or until it dies and they're completely comfortable with that and the same that same cycle happens in it you get folks that buy servers off ebay or even just you know the low the lower end servers and they they ride it out <laughs> until that thing smokes well, it's, right it's it's not just like the physical hardware i mean uh very few small businesses are for example uh going on to uh ebay and 
buying NetApp equipment from 10 years ago. Right. But if you are buying equipment new from a small business focused vendor that what they are essentially providing is a storage solution that is NetApp from 10 years ago or EMC from 10 years ago or something, it doesn't matter to a small business. They'll just, you know, okay, so it's not the latest greatest. It's, it's not the, you know, the bleeding edge stuff. It doesn't give them a competitive disadvantage to use technology that is that dated. Um, whereas, you know, if you get into the mid-market, this is where there's that huge, huge demand for being up-to-date because they really have to compete with enterprises. And if they are behind, uh, then they're going to notice it and they're going to be at a serious competitive disadvantage. But they just don't have the, the IT staff levels to go up against uh, you know, a full-bore uh, enterprise solution. So that's where they, they need those appliances. And that's where it comes in fits and starts. You'll get a really big wave of appliance-based solutions for the mid-market, and then it'll stagnate for 10 years. And then you'll get another big wave of, of solutions that, that, that are as appliances. So one of the things that I... I think is important to it, and and you can can maybe confirm it or 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 talk more about it. The rise of services and support as a major part of the offering. You know, the a lot of the the enterprise target. It's they wrap services into it because it's usually implementation because it's a big deal. It's a ton of hardware. It's a whole lot of complex setup. But the service package companies. So if they buy if I buy three nodes of something. And I know that I'm going to be, re I'm relying on them. You know, do you, do you think this is going to be the differentiator for a lot of companies in, in that mid-market space? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just look at scale computing. They exist because they provide uh, what I have termed data center butler, uh, but is essentially just a white glove support offering from them. Um, you know, you can get a cheaper hyper-converged solution that does more or less the same thing uh, from Cloud Weavers. Uh, they have a, an offering called Node Weaver. Um, it can be you know, half the price of scale computing. But scale, uh, especially in North America, they have support that Cloud Weavers cannot currently match, uh, although uh, Cloud Weavers could probably give them a run in Europe. Um, and this, in turn, has set, you know, scale apart from uh, some of their larger competitors as well who uh, price things a little bit higher or you know have their support offerings go entirely through the channel um, it's it's what's made them a successful business and I think that that you know they're just one example amongst many of this where it is that support offering that is really differentiating vendors at this point um, I think the other thing, and it's it's really quite a shame that Nutanix uh, marketing was, was so on the ball that they stole the term, but uh, the concept of invisible infrastructure is really at the center of this discussion. We have reached the point for most businesses that IT is good enough, that you can do what you need to do with the appliances of the day. And it's going to be another 10, 15 years before we really need another wave of appliances 
to solve another round of IT problems. Uh, I, I think for servers, for infrastructure, for that sort of thing, you know, we are where CPUs were in 2004 or 2006, where you just stop caring about the next version. And that means that as these appliances get good enough, they become capable enough to do what we need them to do, it's the service and support that matters. Uh, upgrading through the versions as they come, making sure the security patches don't break anything, that sort of thing. Because we're going to move away from needing piles of specialist sysadmins just to keep the lights on and start having sysadmins that care about what's inside your VMs. It's, it's what you can do with your infrastructure that matters, not what the infrastructure is. So the idea of less knob turning and getting back to like the the reason like we were brought in to be engineers not to engineer diverse exotic you know hardware and software solutions we're we're here to to meet business needs right well pretty much i mean you don't need nasa and a saturn 5 to commute to work it would make a sense, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it would. But I don't think most people care. Um, and, I, and I think that's the thing, is that once you have halfway decent infrastructure and something like VM Turbo to manipulate it in an automated fashion, and you have uh, some decent analytics on the side, um, preferably some predictive analytics to tell you when things are about to fail. Um, does it matter? I mean, do, do, do you need to obsess about what storage you're putting in there or who's selling you your server or whatnot? Do you even see that stuff anymore? Do, do, you, do you crack open your individual nodes and go mucking about the guts anymore? Yeah, we used to nerd out like hardcore on that stuff. You would get a server and you would open it up and you'd look at all the bits, you'd put it together. Now you just, you get it built by your VAR because you don't want to care or you buy it as an appliance. Like I said, you slide it into the rack, you plug in two ethernet cables and life is good, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I run entire data centers that I've never physically seen. There's some cable monkey on site or you know we hire some cable monkey to come in for the day and you know they will hook everything up and I can access things remotely load up an operating system remotely you know as long as I have a bridgehead into your system into your data center somewhere I can handle the rest of it manipulate the entire data center from across the world so do you do you see the change in in like I love I used to call it the the rise of the generalist right the idea that you have to now know about a little about storage, a little about networking, a little about compute, a little about applications, and it's kind of moving further up the stack as far as getting closer to the apps. And 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 you know, you've you've been at this for a few years. Yeah, you know, do you really see the evolution across the board of folks that are you can no longer just be like I'm the storage person and and I'm awesome at storage, so I'm I'm good for twenty years. Like I just don't think that exists anymore. Well, yes and no. So, so that's an interesting question. Um, there will always need to be a few specialists, but I think the number of businesses that can be supported by a single specialist is changing. You might need uh, 
some storage specialists in your vendors or in your VARs or you know whoever is providing support for multiple organizations. Uh, but you no longer have a situation where, for infrastructure at least, every organization needs the cloud of their own specialists. And I think it's very important to draw the distinction there for infrastructure. You no longer, as an individual, need to know how to fix your own car. You can just drive the car into you know, the local garage and, and that local garage will solve your car and the, you know, they'll, they'll fix cars for dozens of businesses. And I mean, maybe if you are the size of a city and you have a fleet of buses, do you keep your own mechanics online? But uh, for, for the most part, no. You, you just you don't need to know how to fix a car. Um, and I mean, hey, I have been stuck on highways in other countries and all I had to do was dial up the local motor association and tow truck shows up and, you know, problem solved. Um, that's where we got with cars. That's where we're going with computer infrastructure. But the flip side to that is that it is now the rise of the developer. Small businesses as small as five people are starting to hire developers. In the 90s, we would have shade tree uh, computer nerds working essentially as operations guys. Yeah. They would be installing Windows. They would be building servers, etc. That's dead. It's gone. Get over it. Now it's the developer. Even small businesses need custom software to make their businesses work because shelfware doesn't adapt to the individual needs of individual businesses. It doesn't adapt to uh, the business process refinements that companies want to make in order to stay competitive. In order to, to make those business processes uh, work and be integrated with the computer systems, be automated, be integrated with their suppliers and vendors and all the rest of that, they need an in-house developer. And that's where the new specialists are coming from is specialist developers uh, working with generalist developers who are working with a generalist ops guy. And I think that that talks about the skill set that we need to get as technologists, that we need to lean in further and understand the business and not, like we're technologists by nature, but without having something to map to, it can no longer be all about the technology the commoditization is not about making it cheaper it's about making it seemingly generic you know abstracting it so that we can get further up the stack is is that kind of a good way to represent it well i think so and i think that uh one of the best ways to really wrap your mind around it is to consider smartphones um nobody other than the I keep large quantities of urine in jars class nerds cares about smartphones. Even most technologists just do not care what is inside their smartphone. Their smartphone goes fast enough or it doesn't. It is patched on a regular basis and thus not vulnerable to too many security flaws, or it's not. This is about the extent to which we care about our phones. Um, you know, the odd nerd might might care a little bit about uh, the camera, but let's face it, they're kind of all crap. 
Uh, nobody, absolutely nobody cares what CPU is in your phone, and so on and so forth. And yet, we all use them. We carry these smartphones everywhere. But what we care about is apps on the phone, the configuration, the data that we put on the phone. But we stop caring about the device. And I'm, you know, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that we're getting there to a certain extent with entire data centers, not just servers, not just UPSs, but the whole thing. And I, I think it's it's a neat kind of renaissance, you know, that we're walking into where we've got, you know, some of the old, the, 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 the previous generation of technologies that I find are we've got an interesting thing to bring where you've got this, you know, broad experience and you bring it into now a development focused market. What do you think if you were new, if you're, you're 20 years old, you're 19, you're, you're in college. What do you think? If you think I'm going to become an op a systems admin, I'm going to become a developer. Like what, if you, if you were 19 year old Trevor right now, what would you, what would you start learning? Well, first of all, if I could go back and do it all again, I would never have gone into computers because I hate computers. <laughs> <laughs> I got into computers for entirely the wrong reasons. Um, but actually, what I would, if I were to, to give a recommendation to anybody, it would be don't go into to computers. Don't go into systems administration. Don't go into uh, development, any of that. Uh, we are in the process of a major realignment of this entire sector and along with it is coming some pretty dramatic downwards wage pressure. Um, you're maybe going to be able to find a living in information security for a while mostly because we suck at it but that's counterbalanced by the fact that nobody actually wants to spend money on information security and every nerd on the planet is trying to get into information security because it's seen as the only safe space. If you wanted to make a living working with technology, you would walk away from technology and start getting into where technology is applied. So by this, I'm talking about uh, medicine, uh, genetics especially, uh, machine learning, um, even things like city planning and uh, logistics, shipping, these are areas where if you know a reasonable amount about technology, you can transform the entire disciplines through the application of technology. But the way that you are going to be able to do that is not to become a technologist and then seek to disrupt those areas. It is to learn how those areas work and then become a technologist. Find out where the technology needs to be applied, and then go learn what the technology that exists can do for you. And I think that's a way of thinking that a lot of technologists find anathema. They would rather learn about the technology first and then go, okay, so how can I then uh, change the world using my technology? Yeah, but now the technology approach, is, right? is everywhere. So, you need domain-specific knowledge to make use of technology now. Right. Yeah, I think that's and that's always been a an interesting thing where we can we've got you know people that really are are amazing specialists, but yet they have trouble seeing how it's getting applied. And it's different. Right? Running a a great technology is not necessarily a great technology business. 
you know, we've seen it dozens of times. Company with you know, really cool software, hardware, whatever it is, and it just goes south because they just don't have a market because they they built something really cool, you know. Or even it gets bought up by another company, a a big player, and then it just kind of disappears and then shows up seven years later in some other product that they've they've you know put into their portfolio. It's yeah, it's really interesting. Well, I think probably the biggest lesson that technologists as a as a whole have let yet to learn is the era of technology for technology's sake is over. We for 30 years could get away making good livings, building a slightly better mousetrap, a slightly faster car. We could get away with fetishizing our technology to the point that what we did was create more and more technology just to keep our existing technology going. But we've more or less hit the end of that. Now we have to actually do something useful with that technology outside the domain of supporting technology in and of itself. Um, and that is where I think a lot of a lot of people have problems uh, as you, who have worked in IT for a long time. And, and, you know, some people like to say this is the learn what the business does. But it's, it's more than that. You need to you need to either have the domain-specific knowledge about what the business does yourself, which is hard because you'd have to become an expert in a whole other field, or you have to learn to play nice with others. And just as we are, as technologists, facing the evaporation of a lot of our uh, jobs due to automation, due to uh, technology, to go into some other area and say, by the way, what I as a technologist want to do in order to preserve my job is to reduce your entire department's headcount to about 25% by automating it, you're going to find some resistance. <laughs> Understandably, right? So the interesting thing I always like to ask folks is what what's what's the must-read book you've got? What are great resources that you use yourself and that you kind of would recommend to folks who are yeah, whether whatever it is, you know, getting through their day to day, SMB mid market, whatever. What's what's the book that you say, you know, what's the favorite book on Trevor's bookshelf, and and what are are other great places for people to go? Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, um, I've thought about this a lot, uh, and the thing is, is that I don't really have a book that. I find particularly useful. What what I have found to be far more useful is to go find the list of the top VMware-based bloggers and read the individual blogs, listen to the podcasts, etc., from the virtualization community. And the reason I say this is because it's such a diverse community with so many different viewpoints that right now you have some of the smartest people on the planet trying to figure out how to deal with the changes 
to IT, the changes to our society and culture that are occurring. And everybody's got a different take. For everything that I've said in this podcast, there are five other viewpoints that will disagree with me in some or all ways. And those need to be read and heard and considered. And that is, I think, the most important thing that we as technologists can do. Yeah, I think that goes to part of, you know, my, I always tell people, it's not that you make the decision, you know, you don't, you don't have to, the decision is about the criteria you use to make the decision. It's less about the decision because decisions are right and wrong. They're always, they're like Schrodinger's cat. It's always in a state of complete wrongness, complete rightness, and we just have to make it work. But what's the criteria you use to make that decision? And that's about gathering information, yeah, finding finding folks that are, you know, in your predicament and that are walking the journey with you, right? It's and I love the top V bloggers. I love like Eric Siebert's stuff. That's a great, great resource. And it's funny to see. Yeah, it was early VMware bloggers, all of them. And now we're seeing some hyper V stuff come up. And I remember going in there as my first year was as a PowerShell blogger. And now all of a sudden you're seeing more, you know, more Hyper-V, some AWS stuff. We're seeing containers, you're seeing OpenStack, KVM all over the place. It's that evolution is happening and it, we're walking through it as a journey all together. That's, it's exciting. I love being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I get to work with some vendors on some of this stuff and I get to watches the vendors uh, make some of these realizations and evolve as well. Uh, one of my uh, favorite vendors at the moment is Catalogic. As um, I'm working with them and, I, and I'm realizing or helping them to realize that the, the product that they built is not quite what they thought. And, and actually, um, it's not just a, a little bit of uh, data protection or copy data management, uh, which it, I mean, certainly is, but the specific way that they've put it together also actually makes DevOps usable for those companies that are moving towards it, and it, and it makes them, uh, I guess, more palatable. I mean, a lot of the ways when you, when you try, start talking about things like DevOps, um, you know, people start talking about massive culture changes and huge shifts in how you do things yeah. right away. And, you know, Catalogic, uh, when, I, when I looked at what they had, I was like, well, but this is this is that baby step. It's it's that first step that gets you down that path, and you know you can keep using this pretty much the whole way through. But they had never thought of it that way. They they'd never um, a, thought of uh, of the developer side of it, and and had been focused entirely on the operation side. And and once they did, they they started going, wow, okay, uh, let's reach out to the developer community and see. Uh, see what they have to say and see how this would help for them. And, and it just, it changed everything for them. And that's, that's re- the really fun part about all of this is, is that, that you can get these completely different viewpoints and they can change how you do everything. It goes to that whole thing of, you know, I, I've, I always tell vendors, if you tell me that I'm using it wrong, no, you haven't understood what how people can use your software or hardware, right? That's that's what it is. And I love that that they've done it. They've recognized like, wow, there's a different use case in here. Let's 
let's latch onto it. Let's embrace it. You know, some would call it a pivot. Some would call it whatever. You know, uh, Docker is a classic story of that, right? They're developing a PaaS. They need a container environment to develop the PaaS. The container environment's better than the PaaS. Let's become a container platform. (laughs) We see it with hardware, with other folks all the time. It's, and I love that's the like recognize it, listen to your customers, and run with it. Like that's that's cool. Yeah, you, you've done a lot of really well, cool I stuff mean, with them. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really like about working with vendors uh, is that the good ones do exactly what you're talking about. They listen to their customers and they 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 listen to the community and they end up realizing that sometimes they have created a product which can be used in more ways than they originally imagined. And and that that makes them a lot more valuable. I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of bad vendors that don't listen, but um, I guess this goes back to that whole go read these blogs from various other people. Seek out opinions and ideas especially those that disagree with you. Not just so that you can sit there and make yourself mad on the internet, but (laughs) because if you can learn why they disagree with you and how they came to that belief or understanding, you might open your mind up to an entirely different way of thinking and an entirely different approach to the problems that you are facing. I love it. Uh, well, we're we're wrapping up on time, and you know, Trevor, you've you you've brought some really really great stuff here today uh, from the community. You know, some someone who's been a reader of yours a long time and and likes to to follow along your journey. Thank you for being unabashedly honest about about things. Uh, where do folks find you? Uh, and again, remember, it's it is cake is not a lie, but it's cake is underscore not underscore a lie. I, I've 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 tried to I've misplaced the underscores a couple times early on when I first learned <laughs> started reading your stuff, and I kept like, what was Trevor's uh, handle again? But uh, so again, you know, where where do we find you online? Uh, best place is probably going to be uh, trevorpot.com, and just click on the about Trevor button, and it has links to everything. And I know there's lots of folks that are listening to both of us going, they say about funny because they're Canadian. <laughs> no do to boot it, eh? That's right. That's right. Excellent. Well, again, uh, for folks who want to uh, learn more about Trevor, of course, go to trevorpot.com. That's two T's in the pot. Uh, he is cake. Uh, sorry, cake is underscore not underscore a lie on Twitter. Uh, Trevor, it's been great to uh, to be here. If anybody wants to keep the conversation going, you can do so in the green circle. Go to greencircle.vmturbo.com. Uh, you can go to gcondemand.io, which is where we find all of the uh, uh, listings of our episodes. And uh, yeah, hopefully Trevor will have you on again. And I know there's so much more we could talk about, uh, but you know, in 40 minute chunks, we can we can only do so much. So again, uh, thanks for coming on today, and uh, we'll hope to see you again at a conference or or other community uh, item very very soon. All right, thank you very much for having me. You're listening to today's Cool Podcast.